Hey, welcome to another episode of Affordable Housing and Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Kent He, and here on this podcast, we believe that investing in affordable housing is the best way to not only get back to your community, but also enable yourself to help whatever population or whatever cause that you care about most while investing in the wealth for your family and all your friends and all your loved ones surrounding you. So today we have William Cooper who joins us on the podcast. And this is a really, really interesting conversation. We covered so many different topics, but I learned something about the housing support programs that are out there, especially for his county in Solano County in California, that I never even knew about or even existed. And it just shows how many different programs are out there for the purpose of affordable housing that we as landlords might not even know about until you actually start digging in. So stay tuned for that. Make sure you listen to that all the way through. And the, the one of the best stories that William shares with us today is that how he dealt with drug dealers that were parking their cars on the property that he was trying to buy for his first deal as affordable housing. If that isn't scary, I don't know what is, but you're going to want to learn about how he dealt with the problem, what he did, and how he got a life, another lifelong partner because of how he handled that issue. And because he was bold, he was ready to take action, he took advice, and he created great relationships. I can't wait. So let's get into some of the highlights for the show and listen and make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Thank you so much. Let's get into it. I drive out there. It's nine units. Um... It's vacant except for two units. And there is a motel right next to it. There's three drug dealers that are living in the motel. All of their cars are parked on his property. I pull up to the property witnessing him yell at these drug dealers to move their vehicles off of his property. Granted, like he's not the biggest guy in the world, my old partner that was that I reached out to. And the lack of fear that he shown in that moment, I was like, I have no excuse. I'm 6'4", 200 pounds. And he's a lot smaller than me. I realized like right then I was a little terrified of the property, no question. We walked the property. He says hi to me, like no big deal. Just lets me know. He's like, you have to out alpha these guys. Okay, welcome to the episode of affordable housing and real estate investing. Today, we have William Cooper joining the podcast today. And we decided to bring William on to the podcast because he is investing in a slightly different strategy than all of our other guests have participated in. Uh, in the past that have joined your typical Section A programs or even just your affordable housing developers. William is from Sonoma County, but he has an investment in Solano County. And today we're going to get here from, well, his story about how he got started in real estate investing and also the different programs that he's involved with and how the, he has built a relationship with his local housing authority. So without further ado, William, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for being here. Just tell the audience a little bit about yourself and how'd you even get started in real estate, man? Thanks for having me, Ken. I really appreciate it. 
Um, so I actually grew up in a pretty entrepreneurial home. Uh, I grew up in Hawaii. Um, grew up dirt poor, and I got to watch my dad um, go to night school, work two jobs. He uh, was a scuba diver instructor while I was a kid. Um, and went to night school and worked at Pizza Hut at the same time and just grinded his way to getting a degree. And then he got on with a construction management company. And I don't think we got off of free lunch until I was like a senior in high school. So I got to watch my dad just like grind it out. And he ended up getting into development. Uh, and then he, he went off on his own and started his own development company. And so when I went away to college, I knew I wanted to get into real estate somehow because I'd watched my dad do it. So when I was 19 or 20, I was living, um, I was living with the guy, I was renting a room from a guy that I found out two months after I'd been living in one of his rooms that he was a millionaire and he was living in the smallest room of the house and so i picked his brain and i was just like what like what do you have going on and a buddy of mine um partnered with me and we ended up buying four houses from him when i was like 20 and they're in omaha nebraska and i was living in santa rosa california at the time and I had no money, so I was like, oh, cool, I'll sweat it out. So I loaded up a truck, drove the 24-hour drive from Santa Rosa to Omaha, Nebraska in July, and got started and sat out there for about two and a half, three months in the most god-awful humid heat you've ever been in in your life. Um, remodeled these houses got tenants in them and I don't know if I said it or not this was in the summer of 2007 oh, so oh yeah so the next six months we're just like ready to start getting going and the bottom just falls out of everything and it's the first investment I've been in I'm 20 years old I'm shook um and my partner at the time was like, hey, like, we got to just keep pushing forward and try some other things. I was like, all right. So uh, he pushes me to meet with this guy in Vallejo named Ari. Meet with Ari. And Ari is not what I'm used to. He's let's get multifamily buildings as fast as we can. And that was his bread and butter. And I started to enjoy it. I was kind of doing gopher work for him just to kind of learn. I was 20, 20 21 at the time. Um, and started learning a lot. Um, and then a girl got involved in the picture uh, that I started dating and I realized I wanted to marry her more than I wanted to do real estate 
because she and I didn't know this until she put the ultimatum in front of me telling me that she wanted somebody who had a secure college degree to fall back on because we were in the middle of a recession. Even though at the time I was running two businesses and chasing real estate at the same time, I started in a foreclosure company. So I worked for the bank repossessing homes. Wow. Yeah. And then I started an, an REO um, maintenance company. So we would foreclose on the property for the bank, get it set up with the agent, get it cleaned up for the agent, market ready, um, and then maintain it while sitting on the market. Because in 2008 and nine, it wasn't unusual for decent pieces of real estate to sit on the market for multiple months. And so agents needed to make sure they were still presentable. So do bi-monthly lawn care, like simple, easy tasks that people kind of never thought about. But when you have a house sitting on the market for that long, nowadays you don't have to worry about that, right? The landscaping in the front yard of a house in 2023 doesn't matter because it's in our, in our neighborhood, it's just going to go. Um, and if it's not, you need to fire your agent. Um, so I decided to go back to school because of this girl. She wanted a degree. Well, I ended up marrying. And now I have five kids with her. One I'm very excited about. Um, but at the same time, she also saved my life because I got into healthcare by accident. Uh, the only place that's open 24 hours that allows you to uh, work full-time and go to school full-time is a 7-Eleven in a hospital. And I didn't want to work with 7-Eleven. So I just found the easiest entry-level job you could to a hospital, got in there, came in ER tech, um, discovered I had a heart issue. Four heart surgeries later, um, the idea of doing anything outside of healthcare was terrifying because I was worried I'll need this, need these benefits for the rest of my life. And my wife still hangs it over my head that uh, she saved my life because she made me, <laughs> which made me work in a hospital. So she's fair. She's she's got that one. <laughs> well. Hey, let, let's unpack that a little bit because I think your story, like I, I gravitated towards it right away because not only did you take a chance young in real estate, you pushed through even though when things were hard and even though things were hard, you, you also found time to set aside for your personal life, to take care of the people that you care and love the most. And I think that's what's so cool and for the audience to really listen to this and think about it's almost like you you have it all in my opinion you have it all uh well because you got a great family you got a warm you got five kids i don't i'm trying to learn how to deal with one so you have five i have a lot to learn from you and but you you still got involved in real estate and you stayed in touch with real estate throughout your entire life and i think those should not be taken lightly. Those are character traits that for people who are looking to invest with somebody in real estate, like this is what I would look for personally. I want to look for people that have gone through hard things, 
and also continue to push through even th when things are hard. And even when you felt like you were running out of options or you had an ultimate to put on you, you still found a way to please all the sides and all the part people in your life to continue making it work. So I think it's been a really, really cool story listening to you progress throughout your entire life and you know becoming the dad that you are today, man. Super, super cool. Yeah, that's why this 6 a.m. time works because everybody's sleeping. <laughs> yeah, for the audience that don't know, it's 6 a.m. right now when we're <laughs> recording this episode. But hey, this is why we do what we do and why we're successful. It's because we just do what it takes. No excuses. We just get up. A lot of people might say, hey, this is too early. This doesn't work for me. But this conversation is really important. And that's why I want to bring this to our audience. So, well, let's talk about the the deal that you might have going on right now i think you own about nine units right now that we briefly talked about over the phone can you talk us through and educate the audience and just tell them a little bit of story about how you found a deal and how you fund it because i really want the audience to understand not only are you working a full-time job well but you also raise the capital for your deal yeah so that deal actually came out of um the desire not to work in healthcare full-time. Um, my what I, I got all my prereqs for a nursing school with no desire to go to nursing school at all. And told my wife, I was like, give me six months. I want to try and get back full-time into real estate. And she's like, okay, six months. That way we can kind of find a direction for the life that we want to go in. Four months later, uh, and so once I had that conversation with her, I reached back out to one of my old contacts uh, in Solano County, telling him I wanted I want to find a deal. Um, I want to get involved. What do I have to do? Whether if it, like not knowing what kind of work he was going to throw my way, not knowing what kind of deals he was going to throw my way, um, and he looked at me kind of hemmed and hawed, haven't seen you in a while kind of thing. We would stay in contact every few years. Um, I'm a big proponent of always being present, even if it's just letting people know you're still there. Um, and he reaches out to me three months later after I talked to him. He's like, I got a project. This is not a very good project, but I have a project. I was like, okay. Uh, and as opposed to giving me an address or anything like that, he's like, let me just meet you out there. Because I think if I give you the address, you just won't show. I was like, okay, project, get it. So I drive out there. It's nine units. Um, it's vacant except for two units. And there is a motel right next to it. There's three drug dealers that are living in the motel. All of their cars are parked on his property. I pull up to the property witnessing him yell at these drug dealers to move their vehicles off of his property. Granted, like he's not the biggest guy in the world. My old partner that was that I reached out to and the lack of fear that he shown in that moment, I was like, 
I have no excuse. I'm 6'4", 200 pounds. And he's a lot smaller than me. I realized like right then I was a little terrified of the property, no question. We walked the property. He says hi to me, like no big deal. Just lets me know. He's like, you have to out alpha these guys. And I'm just like, how is this part of real estate? Like, I don't under, like, I'm so confused <laughs> right now. And he starts talking about protecting his tenants aggressively. And I was like, okay, I get that. Um, so he walks this deal with me. I'm terrified. It's in the middle of Vallejo. I don't know if anybody knows anything about Vallejo. There's a famous rapper named E-40 who talks continuously about how terrifying Vallejo is. Um, and that's pretty much all the education I had into it prior to that day. So he gives me a tear sheet for the property. I speed out of there as fast as I can. Call my wife. She's like, what'd you think of the property? And I don't want to terrify her about it. And I was like, I think uh, we may be 50-50 on it. Well, <laughs> like, I, I don't know if we're going to pull the trigger on it. So I reach out to a couple of buddies of mine that I've known through the years that are still in real estate, ask them. I give them the numbers, show them the comps. And they're like, dang, this is a good deal. You should probably do this. And I'm trying to talk them out of it. Like, oh, yeah, but you should see the neighborhood. I was like, oh, and all of them had the same response. Oh, that... The neighborhood doesn't matter. That's on you. And I'm like, yeah, dang. Okay. All right. So I showed it to one guy who's like, yeah, I'll invest in it for sure. And I was going to him for advice, not capital. And we came and over the next few days, we came to terms, some pretty favorable terms. Um, and this is based off of a relationship him and I have had for years. Um, but not a relationship of um, of business, of just friendship, right? And me not asking him. I think if I asked him for the money, he probably wouldn't have gave it. I was asking, I was reaching out to as many people for advice as I could. Um, I was probably eventually going to go ask him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like... I don't, I don't have a Rolodex of people with millions of dollars sitting in the back pocket, in my back pocket. I have a bunch of people that I've served in my life that have served, uh, that have, I've served in theirs as well. And the relationships are just at a point where I don't treat anybody different because of one thing um, or their status in life. Uh, I work with a lot of doctors. And I work with a lot of nurses and I work with a lot of housekeepers. I, I treat all of them the same. Um, I love roasting people. I'm being roasted by people. <laughs> and all of them go back and forth with me consistently. Oh, uh, that is so fun. I'm not a big fan of hierarchy stuff. And when it comes to, I, I'm a big fan of respecting somebody who's done work to get in the position they've been in, right? But 
So my relationships are that I have with people are typically all the same. Like, and I'm, I can, I've been told I can be either very polarizing where you either love me or hate me, which is fair. I'm okay with that. At least we're, at least we're clear on where we stand. <laughs> well, 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 I think this has been such a good story to tell. One, I'm so glad I woke up for this story. <laughs> I didn't know about the drug dealers that were on the property. And, but that's a really cool way of thinking about it. It's like, I am there to protect my tenants. And I think I love that perspective of what motivates people to, and why they are successful in real estate. It's like they actually care about their residents, the product that they're providing onto the marketplace and make sure people have a good place to live. And then I love your point about your relationships with your coworkers, regardless of what positions that they're in. I wish someone told me this earlier when I was young, right? I used to be an EMT and I was around a lot of other uh, high income earners. And I wish that I would have recognized like, hey, there's more than just myself and Will, I mean, William, that want to get out of this rat race. They yeah. all want to live a passive life and just have income kind of coming through. So those are all potential partners. And I think you set a really great point where you're just reaching out to people that you've been friends with for so long. I mean, this seems so simple, guys. Like all the friends that you've had, all your past colleagues and coworkers and friends, like they all can be potential investors with you if you prove out that you know how to analyze the deal and you're willing to do the work, which William has done consistently over his life where he has persevered and pushed through even when things got hard. Those are traits that you can work on right now, despite whatever job you're working. So I think people are going to get really inspired from your story, William. And this is, all right, let's get into the next part of the conversation because now that I know how you found a property and all the story behind it, um, it seems like it's going to be a lot of work. So what did you do to try to figure out like, hey, one, if I buy this property, what am I going to do? Who do I partner with? Did you talk to your local housing authority or any of the local government agencies and figure out like how you want to get this property up and running? Tell us what was going through your thought process and how did you build those relationships? So I actually got introduced to the um, Solano County Housing Department by the seller. Uh, I told him kind of what I wanted to do uh, with that uh, property. He's like, there's a program out there that I've used. I only use it on a few tenants per building. He's like, there's a there's a bold move you could take. He's like, you could offer the whole building. I don't know if anybody's done that with this many units, but if you do, it's a risk, but you'll probably have first come first serve at some tenants. Um, and it'll probably help you build your relationships within the organization. And so, I looked at that and I thought, at the end of the day, if I give them, if I try and hedge my bets, right, and I give them four units and I hedge it against five uh, non-assisted tenants, the, if there's ever conflict between the two, that falls on me, tenant social worker, 
the um, the tenant that's not on a program and possibly their lawyer, right? So now there's five people involved where, and I'm just looking down the road at like, what's the worst case scenario that can happen, right? And that's two tenants fighting each other. If I just went worst, worst case scenario in my life, when it comes down to it, where I have two parties that are just at each other's throats the whole time. Like that was the thing I didn't want to deal with. There's other problems out there that other landlords are going to see that they don't want to deal with. I don't want to deal with that because I don't want to be a babysitter. Right. It's mm -hmm. not, not why I'm here. Um, so if I give the whole building over to Solano County and I say, hey, here's the building. My eventual goal is I'd like to do um, a master lease with them. So I can do like a, a triple net lease for the entire building to Solano County, uh, which I'd like to do. Um, and I want to just have, that's the population I want to reach out to because not only are they, uh, they're subsidized, which I appreciate, which makes life a little easier, but this program specifically does it on a tiered system. So the first four months of their uh, tenancy, the Solano County government pays their full rent and then it tapers down. So it's called HSP. And so it starts at hundred percent, then it drops down to 75, then it drops down to 90%, 75%, 50%, 25%, and then 0% at the end of the 18 months, I believe. And this is the only program, and I looked at Section 8, and I looked at um, veteran housing and a couple other things. This is the only program I've found to date that actually encourages the tenant to get out on their feet. And so with the person that gave me the suggestion to go to HSP, I ended up striking up a deal with them saying like, okay, but if I get a tenant that gets their rental history good, that pays on time, that stays in good standing the whole time, gets themselves a job, gets on their feet. Will you allow me to put them in one of your units? Because my units are single bedroom um, or studios. And so if you allow me to use my property as a stepping stone to put them into one of your properties, I'll vet them for a year and a half for you. And and now I can give these people hope on the initial introduction. So I meet with them, their social worker, um, and my um, superintendent for the building. Anytime somebody moves in, I make sure that all four people are there. So that my tenant knows that I'm working with them. This is a stepping stone. This is a learning opportunity. And I will, I'm basically the junior varsity landlord. So uh, the, the only thing they have to pay for is their rent. I cover their energy and their sewer and water. So that, because a lot of these people, when they're moving into this place, this is their first apartment after moving out of their parents' house directly to the street. And they're single moms living out of their cars, living in shelters or living directly on the street. So they've never had the responsibility of paying their own bills which is not their fault, 
You know what I mean? But they got to start somewhere. And if they have to start my unit, terrific. I'm all about it. And so once once I heard about HSP being a not, I don't see it as enabling. I see it as abling, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. Yeah. I mean, this is almost, this is like, this is heartwarming because I think this is the reason why I started this podcast was to welcome people like you, William, and so that you can share how you thought about it, right? Because within the affordable housing, such a big, broad niche, if that's an oxymoron in itself, but there are so many ways that you can determine how you want to help people. And in your scenario, you're almost building out like a career path for folks, right? Granted, you come in, you might be living on the streets, but you introduce them to a path that they might not have seen before, where when you're living on the streets, I'm assuming times might feel pretty dark for folks. But now they come into you, they meet someone great like you, William, and your team, and they say, well, okay, I want to get some help in the beginning, but I know I am incentivized to go out and build my life because I know that there is something bright waiting for me down the road. And you brought that light into their lives, William. Man, this is this is really, really cool. I never heard about this program before. I've heard varying programs, but this is the first time I heard about this program. And I'm so glad you came onto the podcast to talk about this, man. This is yeah. so cool. I absolutely love it. One of the cool things about doing the entire building through this program is that organically there has been a community that's formed. So I have... Um, I have kind of an, an older uh, woman that takes care of her two disabled kids um, that got in an, a car accident and that's how she ended up losing her house. So she qualified for the HSP program, came on, and this woman is one of the nicest women you'll ever meet in your life, but she's not the most, she's technically challenged when it comes to uh, new age apps, phones, technology, things like that. Um, at least she was when I first met her. Um, now she probably like five months ago, she calls me and she's like, Hey, well, uh, I've, I've got a final interview for a job coming up. I was like, that's terrific. I was like, look, and I talk with my tenants at least one once a week once when when i say i'm like the junior varsity um landlord i mean it because there's way more communication that i have with my tenants than i think the average landlord will have um so i was talking to her and she's like yeah i have a job interview uh this week and i was like katina that's, that's great how many um how many times how many jobs have you applied for she's like well i applied to four a day and I'm thinking in my head, I was like, how are you applying for a day, handwriting out your resume? And so I asked, I was like, Katina, I got to ask, what method are you using to apply to these jobs? She's like, well, I use ZipRecruiter. I was like, I, there's no way. There's no way she knows how to use ZipRecruiter. I'm just telling my, like, in my head, I'm definitely judging. No question. I'm, I'm making a judgment. And so I, I dig into it a little deeper and I was like, how did you get on ZipRecruiter? And she said, oh, the nice young lady across the hall spent about four hours with me teaching me how to use it and teaching me how to use the app. 
And now every morning I apply to four jobs. Wow. And so I actually reached out to that girl that helped her and told her, I was like, Hey, I'm going to take a hundred bucks off your rent next month for, um, helping Katina get a job and I'll make a standing deal with you. If you can get other women in that building jobs, um, getting a zip recruiter, you let me know. I'll take a hundred bucks off your rent. Like you they proved to me with a pay stub that they got a job and they're willing to say that like Evie helped them. I'll give you a hundred bucks. I'll give them 50 bucks off their rent. Dude. She started cranking. She got like three people jobs. Wow. I think she's a recruiter. I think that's her job. She's a stay at home mom. And I, I think that's what she does. Dude. This is how you turn communities around. Yeah. I, I, I think people sometimes think about like affordable housing. We'll, we'll get to this question because I do want to ask you like why you think affordable housing is so hard to solve for. But sometimes people forget about like this grassroots movement where, hey, you don't have to change millions of lives yourself. You just got to start with what's in your control. And William, you have gone and one, offered these people an opportunity. But not only did you offer the opportunity, but you built a community that has a sense of like you, people just want to help each other. And because you're incentivizing that behavior, you are helping people become successful. And sometimes we don't, we shouldn't underestimate the power of incentives. Like, boom, you saw someone that already has a good heart that's willing to help people. And you say, you know what, let me do the right thing here and pay them for their time or just give them a little bit of reward to thank them. Like, hey, good deeds don't go unnoticed in this community and in this building that we own. So I think this is really, really cool, man. Um, maybe the next stage of this conversation, we can talk about one, you're doing all this good now, right? And you're helping a lot of people, but for the most, most of the times people still want to know like, Hey, is this sustainable, right? Is this just a charity? Is this sustainable? Do the numbers support itself? Can you share some of the numbers regarding this property with our audience that might give them a better idea of like, hey, all right, what does it take for this? What William is doing is great. I want to do the same thing. But what does it actually take? What's the purchase price of the property? How much money did you spend on renovations? What are you getting for rents? And what do you, what's your general cash flow for a property? Okay. So, okay. And you can give us rough numbers too. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, so... I spent nine seventy five on the property. Um, granted, it came with the drug dealer infestation next door. It came with uh, a bunch of illegal dumping in the back. Um, it came with a garage full of squatters. Oh, um, that had since moved on but there was there was a lot of stuff in there um i probably put i didn't have to put that much into it because pretty much all the units that were vacant had been renovated so seven out of the nine had been renovated um i have one holdover tenant that had been there from the beginning um she does not want her 
property renovated, which is fine. So when she leaves, I'll have one to do. Um, and I probably put 25 grand into it in the first six months, cleaning up the debris and renovating the room in the back better for primarily just storage, to be honest, just reinforcing that building, bringing it back to life. Um, nine units, 1495, uh, per unit. So it's close to like 14 a month. Um, I got a uh, interest only payment, um, 10 years with balloon at the end of 10 for the entire purchase price. And I don't think people realize one of the biggest killers nowadays is going to be your insurance. Uh, your insurance between, I think my insurance is about $9,000 a, a year. Yeah. Insurance, wow. Insurance That's hurts. expensive. Yeah. Insurance hurts. Um, but it, it probably cranks out positive 35 a month. That's pretty good. That's um, someone's salary. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, mm -hmm. So the $14.95 rent per month, that's all 100% guaranteed by the HSP, except for like wherever the tenants are in their journey, right? Help. Just want to make sure I clarify that. Can you yeah. explain like how that guarantee actually works? Yes, like if they, uh, go ahead. So HSP guarantees their portion of the rent for as long as they're on the program. Um, what HSP will also do is say, I have to go through an eviction. They will catch up the late payments on the eviction. Uh, you're not going to be made whole on time, but you'll be made whole at the end of the eviction. So oh. you, you eventually get your money. Um, but what happens is that client will fall under a non-compliance policy. So it's not like the government just kind of like throws them over you and says, good luck. They actually maintain their relationship with, with the tenant. Um, and if they're non-compliant, then they get dropped from the program. I keep my relationship with HSP they will prioritize my case and keep in contact with me while I'm going through the eviction process. Somebody gets evicted after they're evicted, they'll ask me what kind of costs I incurred and then they'll catch me back up. Wow. Okay. So let's, let's highlight some of the benefits right now, right? Not okay. only did, they help you filter out the tenants for your property. They also guarantee the rent. And even sometimes yeah. this is the worst case scenario. Yeah. Let me jump in real quick. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, please. Go ahead. There's no filter. That's, oh. one of, that's one of the big things that I'm willing to bring to the table. There's no background check. There's no resume. There's no application. There's a brief application that I... I want, I give them a criteria. They need to be a single mom that needs help. And that's it. So I'm, I'm pretty much willing to work with people 
on a riskier basis than most people are. And I make sure that that is known going into the relationship, knowing that like, Hey, right now you don't have rental history. You don't have the credit you need to even get this place, but I want to see you become eligible to get that. And I've noticed that if people are aware of their opportunity, some people aren't aware of the opportunity that's given to them, especially when it comes to the government, there's a little sense of entitlement. Um, and if they're brought to the, like if they're brought aware of the opportunity that is in front of them, I notice they try harder and the success rate is above that. And so when they get an applicant, when they come in and there's no background check, there's no um, application fairly required. There's like, it's a minimal application, but I'm not gonna, I told HSP straight from the jump, I'm not gonna deny anybody that doesn't fall into the category of single and mom. Like that's the only requirement that I have. Wow. That's a great criteria because now that you and I are both dads, we know how much work it takes to raise kids. Oh my God. So I think single moms are some of the toughest people out there, um, especially if they know that they're fighting for their kids. So Man, this is so cool. So you're helping a designated population. Mm -hmm. And even when there are issues, HSP is going to try to make you whole. Or they will make you whole. just a matter of time. Yeah. Can you tell? So I want to make sure part of the goal of this podcast is, one, I want to pull back out the curtains and show people like, hey, problems do happen in real estate, right? But people say eviction is just a matter of time. It's not if, it's it's a question of when. So have you gone through an eviction yet? What was that process like? And what was the ultimate result from it? Because I really want people to not be scared of this. They can listen to you, William, about your eviction or the problems that you face and say, okay, you know, I'm going to go through an eviction one day. But I heard this guy named William on his podcast one day, and this is how he dealt with it. So now I'm not scared anymore. Can you share any stories there? Sure. Um, So I've had two uh Mm. since i've been there one of them was there was an incident i approached the tenant and said hey i think our relationships come to a place where i'm not gonna rent you anymore it's a 30-day uh lease just so you know i'm gonna be asking you to leave and she kind of knew it was coming and I told her there's a couple options. I was like, if you leave the place clean, um, anytime by the end of the 30 days, I'll pay you a certain amount to leave. Because a lot of times paying somebody to leave can be um, beneficial in the way of, it will actually cost you less money because you're not paying for lawyer fees, you're not paying filings at the court, you're not having to appear in court, I don't have to waste my time going to court. Mm. Um, So great tip. Yeah. Um, She accepted actually wanted to move up. She's like, fine, can I move out on the first, which was six days later, I said, absolutely. Let's do a walkthrough. Did a walkthrough. She walked out. I 
had my attorney write something up real quick saying that she was leaving without a 30-day notice and on her own accord she signed it i signed it we had it completely legal walks away i have another tenant who is been living rent free of her portion for through four months be and would not answer the phone would not come to the door finally comes to the door tells me she's gonna be out she doesn't want to live there anymore so she wants to leave i said okay that's fine um i should have probably posted an eviction uh earlier than i did it being my first encounter with the eviction i kind of hesitated which i'm going to probably not do anymore i as soon as i came to the decision to evict her i should have just plastered it right on the door and moved forward that way because at the end of the day you can actually take that down there's a lot of stuff i didn't know prior to so you can post an eviction and you can remove it as well so the next next time around it's going to come a little faster uh with the goal to generate a conversation or a dialogue but she is now in there for her second month and she has about 60 more days until the actual eviction will happen. So I'm preparing for her to be in that unit for another two months. Um, I did have to call the police on her once while she was in there because she broke a pipe in her unit that was leaking down into the unit below her and wouldn't let the plumber into her apartment to fix the leak. What? So, yeah. Why? I don't get it. Ah. Oh. Oh. Okay. So good good tip there. You had two great tips. One is one incentivizing, even if you think you have to do an eviction, incentivizing the tenant to move out. I want to make sure the, the audience caught that because you're completely right. Sometimes cash for keys is going to cost you a lot less money than attorney fees, eviction filings, et cetera, and go through all the headache. And you're incentivizing your tenant to leave your home in good condition. I, I want to make sure I really catch that because yes. people forget to do that. That's such a such such a great advice there. And then so now you have this tenant, you're you're trying to evict them. At what point do you inform HSP, like, hey, I got this tenant. I have I'm probably gonna to have to evict her. How does that communication work? What does that process look like? Are you just like, once you realize something was going downhill? So I, you got I messed that one up, for sure. That one falls mm -hmm. on me. This this was a rookie mistake on my part. Um, I tried to work with her several months in a row for her to do payment plans for her rent to come in and not checking in with her social worker and letting her social worker know this is the struggle that she's having. So I've completely revamped my relationship that I have with her social workers. Um, in the time that she was non-compliant with me, she was also non-compliant with HSP. So HSP 
uh, unknowing to me, had put her on a corrective, act, uh, corrective action plan to just purely communicate with them. She just wasn't communicating with them. So she was getting kicked off the program for not having any communication. And so I should have been in contact with her um, social worker sooner than I was. Uh, so HSP will come back since she came into my program, came into my building on their program. They will cover the missed rent if while she was on the program. But she got taken off the program in August. So I'm going to have to eat two months on my own. Got it. So. But HSP will also cover any of the eviction costs or anything like that. They'll cover a portion of it during the time that okay. she's in there, yeah. Okay. All right. Got it. So that's helpful. So that's a good mistake that you have shared. And thank you for sharing that mistake. I think people can learn a lot from just your experience, William, and understanding like what they should do in that situation. And I think this is just super valuable. I think people learn more from mistakes of others than from just the pure successes, right? So what... Um, do you have any other advice or like, or any other issues that came up with this property or your first property that, I don't know, you have any stories that you want to share with the audience that they can possibly learn from? I know you already shared a lot already. So, yeah, with the drug dealers, um, that were in that building, the guy that sold me the property. Um, uh, so one of the things that happened with this property that I do want to share is that the seller told me if I could turn this property around, get this thing positive and moving, he would start partnering on deals with me. So I was pretty incentivized to actually get this building moving. I asked him, what do I do about those drug dealers? He's like, well, they're going to continue to park their cars on your parking lot. You have to drive out here every day for as long as it takes and tell them to move their cars. And if they don't, you tow their cars. I didn't want to do that because we were in the middle of a heat wave and it was literally 107 in Vallejo. I said, okay. I drove out to Vallejo every day for two and a half weeks, sat on my stairs with a cooler of food and drinks and ate them and drank them in front of these people, told them to move their cars. I had a guy named Cletus who ran a tow truck company waiting around the corner. I gave him a hundred bucks the, for the days that I had him there and I would just have him drive through the parking lot with no intention of actually moving any of the cars just so that it would motivate them to keep working. Cause they would say, cause these cars are broken, busted down cars. These are not nice cars. Mm. These are cars that they'd like picked apart on blocks. So they're having to like pull tires out of the cars, put them on, push them across. I have a picture of one that I absolutely love. I'll send it to you after the podcast. It's like my favorite photo ever. And it seized up on them right in the middle of the road. And I just, I couldn't help but take a photo of it. <laughs> but I literally made these guys' life like a living hell because they have so much value in these cars. And 
they have to they have to keep them they can't not keep them and so me threatening to move them uh, eventually there is enough i made enough phone calls to the police that after three weeks uh they were no longer there wow so Not only are you a real estate professional but you are a <laughs> professional security enforcer whatever you want to call it dude you're like a defender of your property that's who i want partnering with me man yeah. uh, just to clarify I, this is not a solicitation for investments this is not legal financial advice um but I, dude i am impressed man i am impressed i used to be an emt and i dealt with a lot of problematic people but never have i heard of someone discouraging that type of behavior in a level of consistency despite the environmental challenges that you were going through uh just lightly speaking that's how it works dude thank you so much for sharing that because now people might see that problem is like you know this is a problem most people would run away from but i heard this guy william on his podcast one time this is how he dealt with it and it worked <laughs> yeah i honestly kind of grew up with those people if you so <laughs> I don't suggest everybody do that. I gotta be honest. No, I mean it could be dangerous <laughs> for sure. I, I mean can, it can absolutely be dangerous. Yeah. Um it takes a lot of courage to do that, but you know, you are you're disrupting their business model, right? Oh, totally. And one of them uh, and I ended up getting on a first name basis. His name was Enrique. And I would show up, I'd park my car, I'd look over at him, I'd be like, hey, Enrique. He's like, are you really going to make us move those again? I was like, yes, sir. And I'd sit down on the stairs. I was like, finish your breakfast and come on out, move your cars. <laughs> <laughs> this is. This is like one of the best stories I've heard uh, on this podcast. And yeah. it's heartwarming at the same time because you are really out there to help. So, man, this has been such a good conversation, man. Um, well, let's maybe. So now that we've learned about your deal, we learned about how you saw the problems and some of the problems that you faced itself. And you learn, we learned a lot about the HSP program. Uh, I really want to get to a point where this is the question I, I ask everybody. And I want to understand from you about why you think affordable housing is so hard to solve for, particularly the lack of supply of affordable housing. Because one of the goals of this podcast is we want to collect as many pieces of the puzzle as possible. Even if we don't solve this problem in our lifetime, I think we can pass on a lot of this progress to the next generation to continue solving for this lack of supply of affordable housing. So curious to hear your thoughts on why you think it's so hard. And you know, if you have any thoughts or suggestions on how you would approach solving it, which you already started. Yeah. Um, I work with a lady uh, out of um, Solano County that I'm really fortunate to work with because she's she's savvy. Um, and I've noticed that she's a diamond in the rough. She I'm pretty sure she grew up in Solano County. She's um, got her bachelor's degree and then her master's degree, and she gets numbers. When we talk and I tell her about like 
the risks I'm taking and the, the business aspect of renting to uh, low-income people, the low-income tenants, it's a, she's on it. She gets the numbers. She does the math. She understands that it needs to be profitable for somebody and she has to keep them incentivized. Not everybody in the government that deals with landlords looks at landlords that way. A lot, I've been treated like um, Scrooge McDuck by a lot of people that work in the government, not knowing that I'm still working as an ER tech. Like, I'm like, I'm like, this is like, I, I'm not retired sitting on an island because I own a building. And there is a, a, I think, a thought process that a lot of people in the government have about people that are landlords. And the relationship between the two, I think, is what makes it possible for me to stay in it. Um, and if I had a different relationship, I wouldn't stay in it. If it was a if it was just a constant struggle dealing with them about getting tenants in there, getting resolutions, having the social workers come and do some sort of mediation between myself and a tenant if needed. It's not all that doesn't happen a lot, but every once in a while it's needed. Um, a lot of times there'll be resistance. Um, and if, if you want affordable, if you want people to be enticed to come into an affordable housing market, you, you have to entertain the landlord and you have to support them. And so it's one reason why I make sure that the social workers at uh, all lease signings so that all three of us are on the same page. I make sure that if there's any conversation dealing with the lease, all three of us are on the same, uh, we are on a three-way call. Uh, any emails I send the tenant about rent, I make sure the social worker is on, on board. I avoid every single piece of he said, she said with a social worker as possible. Because when I, I believe it's not advantageous right now for landlords to typically get into affordable housing because of the friction between landlords and the government like you have, no, you have no rights as a landlord and i think you said it perfectly it's it's the friction that's involved right when you put in friction in the process it disincentivizes what we might call or is good behavior yeah. at, at the end of the day but you need this private public partnership to make the relationship work and to create that win-win-win solution, which is what you have done, right? It's like, hey, HSP, I can give you all nine units, give you guys a little bit more supply, but I need some help. And you're also providing a path forward for your tenants. So again, it's a win-win-win and HSP is trying to do their part by trying to make you whole whenever issues do come up to give you some peace of mind in case issues do come up, right? So I issues, think what you're issues doing- Issues will come up. If you're dealing with affordable housing, mm -hmm. issues are going to come up. And if we- but you need to have to know that you have somebody that you can lean on within the um, 
public sector. Absolutely. And I think that's why you have been as successful as you are so far with this properties because you've had that relationship and the support system in place. Like we've had other guests on the podcast where, you know, they outsource a lot of the, the section eight programs to a third party. And now they haven't been able to get a, a, a tenant filled for like a year. So then they had to defer to market rate tenants instead of what their original goal was, was to provide affordable housing to voucher holders. It's just, these things happen all the time and there isn't that consistency across every single municipality and county to make sure things are working smoothly. So sometimes when you find people that are willing to work with you, especially from the public side, that could be a good area to invest because you know you have to at least some support to make the process a little easier just a little bit easier because it's going to be hard regardless. But again, there's challenges everywhere. There's challenges with Airbnbs. Whatever business and exit strategy you pursue, there are going to be problems associated with it. It's just, is your your commitment to making your the lives of your residents better, stronger than the obstacles that you're about to face? Your why has to be so much stronger than all the problems that you're about to face. So... Hey, well, this has been an amazing conversation, man. Like I had so much fun talking with you about this. And I think you have shared such so many gems for the listeners to take away from. So if people want to reach out to you and learn more about your experience, like how can people find out more about you and reach out to you and learn more from you? My email is uh, sonomadevelopments.com or uh, at gmail.com sonoma developments at gmail.com yep i want to check out that right all right cool i'll make sure we put that in the show notes too in case anyone wants to reach out to you Mm -hmm. can i can i share one more thing with you oh please 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 so i did a mentorship program through a company that builds um through a company that builds like a minimum uh lowest bid house that they'll build is a $10 million house, right? Their home projects take anywhere from three to five years for one home. And one of the things that they do, which is different than most construction companies, is he runs his business as a relation-based business as opposed to a bottom line-based business. And it, it wasn't until I went through this mentorship program, um, I realized on how that I needed to run my business. And I, I'd been kicked in the head with this same statement ever since I was a kid. On, and every time I had chased the dollar, as opposed to chase the relationship, uh, I'd come out negative in the dollar, come out positive in a relationship. And building relationships is the most key thing I think somebody can come across with. Um, when I was in high school, I had a teacher that I hated. I had her my freshman year, I had her my sophomore year, I had her my junior year. My senior year rolls around. I get my class schedule in the mail. Miss Taylor is not on my schedule. I'm pumped. I'm psyched, right? I go to school the first day. She's a TA in the last class that I'm in. I'm pissed. I go home. My dad tells me, like, my dad finally tells me to shut up. 
stop complaining. And he's like, I'll make you a deal. If you can make Miss Taylor your friend by the end of the year, I'll give you $500. I was like, bet. Okay, cool. Um, Miss Taylor's been my friend to this day. She came to my graduation party. She gave me $100. I still email this lady and talk to her on Facebook uh, Messenger privately all the time. Um, she sends me things every now and then uh, about articles that I look at. And the lesson from that was that woman was not willing to let me slide on anything. She was never mean to me. She was never rude to me. She was only trying to invest in me. And I'm the person that got in the way. And yeah, I got $500 out of the deal, but I also got like a decent mentor out of it, like for the rest of my life. So relation-based relation business as opposed to bottom-line uh, bottom based business, I think is always going to, over time, will beat out the other. Man, what a great lesson and what a great advice for, for the listeners because this is what I've been doing. I've just been texting or calling someone randomly from my past at, at least once a week. And I actually do this more often, but sometimes people get so worried about like, Oh, they haven't heard from me for so long. Like they're going to think I want something. Sometimes if you just want to reach out and be a friend, that's so powerful. And people discount that. And I think, well, you have just shown like you're great at relationship building. If you weren't, then, you know, I would have never met you. And I'm so blessed for the opportunity I met you because I can't wait to see what we do together on the development side and really crack a nut on the affordable housing problem. This is going to be really cool, man. I'm oh, excited. Last thing about affordable housing. Yeah. It's a job for the tenants. Like I've sat and talked with every single tenant that I've had and I asked them how much time they put into um, like keep just keeping their benefits. It's a part-time job. The amount of investment that it takes from them on their time to keep like that needs to get, that needs to get fixed. And I completely relate to that. Cause I, I, I think my mom still lives in an affordable housing unit and she needs to find a translator to fill out the forms even. Right. It's not just like, Hey, yeah. you, it, it just happens. Like, one, there's a language barrier, for, especially for immigrant families. They're coming over here. They they don't make that much money. They're trying to work like 12-hour days. And then they still have to figure out, like, can I, take a, can I take time off so that I can go find a translator that works normal hours that will help me fill out this form? Like, all of these issues happen. It's not as easy or simple as other people put it out. But they still persevere. And to your point, it's really almost like a part-time job dealing in and keeping up with all the administrative responsibilities. So thank you for bringing that up. Like sometimes I forget about that, those simple yeah. points, but they take up a lot of time, especially when you're working so many hours already trying to put food on the table. Yeah. So, Hey, well, this has been so fun. I can't wait to bring you back onto the podcast and maybe a year or so, see how much you have grown and all the different stories that you can tell. I think this is going to be amazing to have you back on and sharing your stories. But first of all, again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing without people like you. I, I know I would have never had the home to grow up in in affordable housing. So seriously, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I'm so glad there are people like you in this world that are dedicated to helping people and willing 
and so open to sharing your stories with our audience because they can learn from it. And this is just our way of contributing to the solution for this problem. So thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it, dude. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on. I greatly appreciate it. All right. And we're out. <laughs>